Hey, and welcome to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solveto. Stay ahead of the game and advance your career with continuous learning opportunities for Azure cloud professionals. Solveto, EduHouse, learning as a lifestyle. Start your journey now on eduhouse.fi slash cloud pro. I am Tobias, and I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. One of our rental properties, which is in a smaller village here in Finland, recently became vacant. And uh, I've never been inside that specific property. I've seen pictures. And we knew that it needed quite a bit of renovation because the apartment is, is fairly old. So instead of hiring somebody who knows what they're doing, I got my 15-year-old son, my brother, and myself. And we figured, let's spend a good portion of the weekend doing blood, sweat, and tears. And let's fix the apartment. And um, we spent a fairly long Saturday there last week. Feels like real work, but it's somehow gratifying at the same time because you're actually doing something. You're not tapping away on the keyboard or sitting in a meeting, but you're actually removing something, replacing that with something, and it looks better now somehow. So I am not switching jobs, but I might be doing this a little bit more in the future. I wonder if you can use ChatGPT to help out with the renovations. <laughs> yep. So uh, on my side, it, it's relatable, first of all, because I, I started trying to clean my wooden deck, and then I realized that's quite a tough job. So then I put the furniture back on the deck, and I just went, made a cup of coffee instead. So I, I need to figure out how to do that. And speaking of the wooden deck, like spring is really here, and we even now got a taste of pre-summer here where I live in Sweden. So we've had dinner on the terrace for several nights this weekend and also in, in this week. And it's pretty great. So I love how I spend a lot of my time outdoors in the spring and summer. And, you know, here's to another year of productive work from the sun outside. I, I really like that. So perhaps the next level thing uh, is to bring the laptop to the woods for the next camping trip so I can work from there. But also probably not because I go there to stay analog. That's top of mind for me. Sounds awesome. So this week we are going to be talking about Azure updates. So we take a frequent look on what's interesting, what sort of updates have been announced, what's top of mind really for us on all things Azure. So we both have our items listed in the OneNote that we typically use to sort of track what, what we plan on talking about during these episodes. Toby, I think you have not probably plenty more, but but you have maybe more complex updates. So so perhaps you should start with the first one. Yeah. So today I only want to talk about Defender for Cloud updates because there are quite a few that I found interesting. And that would be interesting if if I still were operating my kind of cloud solutions that I used to do. So if, if you're in a position where you think about security, where security is part of your job, it should be part of everyone's job. But if, if you have a designated role where you're in charge of security, whether you're accountable or responsible for any such portion, then Defender for Cloud is a product for you. So my first update around that product is now in GA. That's Defender CSPM, which is Cloud Security Posture Management. I think we talked about that briefly in one of the episodes in the past. Uh, and that comes with attack path analysis and ARG API, and ARG is Azure Resource Graph. So attack path analysis uses like a graph-based algorithm. It's then scanning like the cloud security graph 
and exposes any attack path and then suggests recommendations on how to best remediate issues, you know, to break that kind of attack path and prevent successful breach. So you can also consume attack path programmatically by then using this API, the ARG API or the Azure Resource Graph API. It also comes with the Cloud Security Explorer, like Cloud Security Explorer to run graph-based queries on the Cloud Security Graph. And that helps you also to proactively kind of identify security risks in your multi-cloud environments. So I'm I'm really excited to see that go live. I'm a bit sad that I don't actively work with uh, security management and security operations anymore. But on the other hand, I am very happy for everyone who does because this is a really good addition to their toolbox. So, so that's my first one. That's a super interesting one. And the CSPM, the Cloud Security Posture Management, it's a highly useful tool, and I seem to be using that on, on most projects I do nowadays with customers. First on my list, and this is something which is in public preview right now, and it's called Hot Patch for Windows Server Virtual Machines on Azure that have the desktop experience installed. So two things really to unpack here. First is Hot Patch. And as the name sort of implies, you can run Windows updates, patching on Windows Server VMs without a reboot. The second thing is, this is now available for Windows Server-based VMs on Azure that have the desktop experience. Because previously, hot patch for Azure-based VMs with Windows Server were only available for servers with Server Core. So meaning you wouldn't have the graphical interface at all. You are going to need the Windows Server Azure Edition as the base image of the VM in case you have an existing VM running Windows Server 2019. Hot patch is never going to work on that one. You have to provision a new VM, select specifically the preview Windows Server Azure Edition with desktop experience image, one of the multiple that are available. And then Hotpatch is automatically enabled for you. And how it works is that uh, updates patches will be automatically installed for you, no reboot required. But occasionally you do get cumulative updates or baseline updates. And those in the future might require you to reboot it perhaps a couple of times a year, but it's still way less than rebooting after every patch Tuesday, every month. So going forward, keep this in mind and definitely start using it, especially if you can try it now in preview, but I perhaps wouldn't start converting VMs just for the fun of converting to get hot patch. All right. Yeah, that sounds interesting. It is now 2023, and we are still talking about restarting the machine after you install an update. It's awesome. Indeed. <laughs> so the next on my list is also, as I mentioned, for Defender for Cloud, and this is a preview feature. So this is agentless container posture in Defender CSPM, and again, CSPM is Cloud Security Posture Management. So the agentless container posture allows your kind of security teams to identify security risks in containers and Kubernetes realms. You also get the visibility into your Kubernetes and containers and the registries across your runtimes and the SDLC. 
and you can remove kind of the friction and the footprint from the workload because this is agentless. What that means is you don't have to kind of embed the agents into the container images, but you can just kind of let this agentless container posture in Defender CSPM handle that for you. So that comes with container vulnerability assessments that, you know, along with what I talked about before, the attack path analysis that can help you uh, kind of enable prioritization of specific vulnerabilities as well. So pretty interesting. It's in preview. But if you do have a lot of containers, if you do deploy containers, take a look at the agentless container posture in Defender CSPM. Super interesting. Definitely interesting. And I like this agentless approach that's coming left and right for Defender for Cloud capabilities. Next on my list, this is generally available, the Azure DevOps 2023 Q1 updates. So there's a bunch of security updates. Super boring, but yeah, we need those as well. But it's an eye-opener for me because late last year, I still felt that Azure DevOps, who needs that? We have a GitHub. Obviously, a lot of organizations are using Azure DevOps, the cloud-based thingy, but you also have the Azure DevOps server, which you can install in on-premises. So the updates for this include template support in YAML editor, subtables page in Wiki. I have no idea what this means, but looks looks useful. <laughs> and there's the prevent editing of shareable picklists fields. Also, zero idea when I would need that. Toby, I need to ask you because I've sort of have to mentally backtrack my thinking that everything would converge with GitHub. But now it seems it's it's a bit split that Azure DevOps, the, the cloud platform, still going strong, perhaps benefiting from GitHub innovations and GitHub obviously going strong. And they both might have a place in the world for the foreseeable future. Would you agree on this one, or are you seeing this differently? You know, that's a great that's a great question. Like Azure DevOps versus GitHub, I don't think it's one or the other. The way I used it in all my recent roles and companies is that most of the source code is on GitHub, and you can use um, you know GitHub Actions to automate stuff. And then Azure DevOps holds the planning, the boards, the sprints. And, um, you know, the, a really good overview of the amount of work that you you have done and the, the work that you have ahead of you, creating roadmaps and plans and timelines and priorities, all that kind of stuff goes into Azure DevOps, and that's pretty great. I don't see GitHub uh, solving that problem for enterprises anytime soon at all. For handling any code or like any resources or raw material, GitHub is awesome. Uh, and the automations with GitHub automations uh, or GitHub actions, it's growing a lot, but a lot of that or more already exists in Azure DevOps as well in the agents. So I, I see still, you know, a fair bit of mix between Azure DevOps agents and GitHub actions. If we only talk about automation, like CI CD pipelines and stuff like that, but more and more, I see all the code and raw materials, documentation, you know, whatever it is, all your kind of moving resources or, or resources that continually gets edited, templates, stuff like that, that goes into GitHub. Organizations tend to still, uh, by my observation at least, still tends to use Azure DevOps for the bigger picture planning, roadmaps, strategies, uh, prioritization, things like that. And you can also tie in the 
DevOps agents in Azure DevOps if you want to kind of connect to anything. For example, if a pull request happens or if a build happens or someone checks in code or whatever it is on your GitHub repo, you can still subscribe to that in an agent in Azure DevOps. So you can use either. So I don't see one replacing the other, you know, holistically saying, well, you're going to entirely replace this thing, but more like we're moving some portions over to GitHub. We're keeping some portions over here. And um, yeah, I have no idea what the future looks like for any of these options, but uh, you know, my, my guess based on my observation in the last, let's say two years is that these will coexist. More code goes to GitHub, more kind of business processes goes to Azure DevOps. That's that's kind of my assumption where things will end up. I have no idea, but that's that's how I would see it based on the projects and the companies I've worked with. I like this thinking that code and assets typically seem to go for GitHub. Obviously for new projects, it's so super easy. But once you start building something more tangible, let's say, perhaps within an organization, a larger project, and the capabilities from Azure DevOps are unmatched on, on the GitHub side. Alrighty, uh, what is next on your list? So on my list, we have uh, another preview feature for Defender for Cloud. And this is called Unified Disk Encryption Recommendation. So this is one of the recommendations. It's not like a new feature or capability inside Defender for Cloud, but it's more like a change recommendation. So essentially, there, there are some new recommendations in Defender for Cloud uh, called Windows Virtual Machines should enable Azure Disk Encryption or Encryption at Host. And the same for Linux. So Linux Virtual Machines should do this. Uh, the new recommendation, it only warns if Azure Disk Encryption or Encryption at Host isn't enabled. And these recommendations require uh, Azure auto-managed machine configuration to be enabled. And the reason why this was introduced is because we got a lot of like false positives, if you will, where either or, like it's it's good encryption. If you have encryption at host, that is enough. If you have Azure disk encryption, that is enough. But you would get a, a kind of a warning either way if you only had one uh, preview. So, so it kind of just fine-tuned that one. The, the reason I want to mention that is because I know a lot of, customers and a lot of people that I worked with talking about cloud security and, and the cloud posture and, and their security posture, we always looked at disk encryption, we always looked at like, how are you encrypting, encrypting data at rest, which includes disk encryption and stuff like that. And they would say, well, we're getting a warning here, but we're solving that by doing this, which should be sufficient. And now they just kind of changed the recommendations around that. So nothing major, it's in preview but it's good to know about because if you work with these things and you rely on the recommendations and you pull out reports and you automate stuff on your own side, uh, you know, the naming of the existing recommendation might change or get removed and then introduce this new one. I like this because the, the few times I've worked more extensively with Azure Disk Encryption, it's it's been confusing that what do I have enabled? Is it secure enough now? Because I'm getting this recommendation, but I just spent two days fixing the encryption. <laughs> um, next on my list, GPT-4, the model, is available in preview for Azure OpenAI service. So we just recently did an episode on Azure OpenAI, and I mentioned GPT-4 was announced and it's available for preview now. So two things here again. One, you do need 
these sort of invite-only access to Azure OpenAI Open service. So you need to apply first for the service itself. Once that's enabled for you, then you need to fill out another form to get access to the GPT-4 model within that instance of Azure OpenAI service. And what you're getting from here, because by default in Azure OpenAI service, you get GPT-3 and GPT-3.5 Turbo, which is chat GPT typically. So GPT-4 gives you two models, the 8K context and the 32K context. So this means how many tokens it's able to retain in the contextual transaction with your, your GPT-4 model. So 32K context is, is awesome, but it will also cost you more. Pricing slightly higher. So three cents per 1,000 tokens in the 8K context and six cents per 1,000 tokens in the 32K context. It doesn't feel much, but if you think that six cents per 1,000 tokens and you have a lengthier transaction, you're easily doing 10,000 tokens per transaction, and it starts to add up real quick. So in preview available now, and the recommendation, I just looked this up the other day. The recommendation is that if you're unsure, go for GPT 3.5. It's faster, it's less costly, and it's typically enough. And then for more specific use cases, go for GPT-4. All right, that sounds good. And I, I, around the cost there, uh, you know, that, that begs the question, haven't someone built, and if, if they haven't, they should, because it sounds fairly easy or trivial to build like a cost uh, estimator for, if you build an API, and I estimate that I will get 1,000 requests a minute or 10,000 requests a day, whatever, and the average length of the input text and the expected outcome is this or that, it will cost you exactly this based on you know the model of the pricing. Someone probably built that already uh, somewhere, but that would be really interesting because then you can make it more tangible because um, saying three cents per a thousand tokens, well, what does that mean for my block of text? In my line of work, this is usually the text I would send in and this is what I would expect as an outcome. Based on those variables, what would it cost me if I use this 24 times a day for a month, for example, just making it more tangible. So if, if you're tuning in and you have nothing to do today, feel free to build a pricing estimator like that and send it our way and we'll mention you in the next episode. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be useful. And well, we had the same debate, I think with Azure Functions and Logic Apps back in the day when we got the initial pricing, it was a bit messy, it still is. Um, I, I feel it would be nicer if, if for in this instance, the pricing would be $50 a month and you get X amount of tokens. When you run out, then it becomes this more detailed and it would be easier to grasp that, okay, I'm willing to invest $50. Let's see how it goes. Yeah. On my side, I, I have an interesting one uh, because I worked a lot with app services. So now this update is deprecation of app service language monitoring policies. So several policies for app service language monitoring have been deprecated. We're, again, we're talking about uh, Defender for Cloud. You know, it appears that this was done um, due to the number of false positives that they introduced, which didn't provide better security and perhaps just a little bit more noise. 
So the policies that have now been deprecated are the ones that goes like this. App service apps that use Java should use the latest Java version. That was a recommendation. Same with app service apps that uses Python should use the latest Python version. Function apps that uses Java or Python should use the latest Java or Python version. And also app service apps that use PHP should use the latest PHP version. That introduced perhaps a bit more noise than it actually introduced added security. So they now deprecated those. And I think that's good to understand. Again, coming back to, you know, I pulled out security reports. I, I developed AVRs or application vulnerability reports in the past and, and all this kind of information for customers and partners. If you're doing that and this is part of your reports, you should consider if it has an impact on those reports or if you're tracking scores in your systems, security scores that may or may not be the built-in security scores because there's a plethora of tools out there where you can can really monitor many things, including you know custom scores for your security. This might have an impact on that. So just think about that. Small, minor update, but it's, again, good to be aware of. Good stuff. I can honestly admit I didn't re even realize that Defender for Cloud had this sort of uh, monitoring policy for programming languages. Next on my list, this is in public preview, Azure Logic Apps Data Mapper for Visual Studio Code. So this is an extension for VS Code. And what it allows you to do is to create and edit maps between different schemas. Perhaps you have data coming in as XML, but whatever endpoint you're pushing that data eventually in your Logic App workflow needs to go as JSON, for example. So the data mapper allows you to draw arrows that this field from XML goes to JSON like this. Make it so, so that you don't programmatically have to do it. So this for me, this brings back memories from BizTalk server times. <laughs> because with BizTalk server, you had this graphical designer, you would be getting a, a SOAP message and it would go out as SOAP or for those old school web services. But you had to map something in there. And they were super complex at the time. Do you, do you remember that tool? The BizTalk? Yeah. Uh, I, I do remember it. I did not work actively with it, thank God. And um, you know, when you mentioned that, it, I was thinking now we should do like we're closing in on episode number 200, which is a pretty good number. I'm thinking we should do an IT career nostalgia episode. <laughs> like we pick five things each that were awesome at the time or challenging at the time, but that we would laugh at today. But anyway, just a side note. Yes, I did work. I, I did uh, no BizTalk server. I didn't really work with it. And I'm happy for that because the colleagues that I had at the time that did work with it, they were, you know, never really happy with it because it was a lot of tinkering. So on my side, this is also a preview feature for Defender for Cloud. So this one is called a new alert in Defender for Resource Manager. And, and the alert is called suspicious creation of compute resources detected. Right. So this is super interesting and very valuable in terms of alerting, especially if you operate at scale. Like if you have a lot of distributed uh, subscriptions, if you set up different landing zones or whatever you do, and you have a bunch of different subscriptions all over the place. And the description of this alert is Microsoft Defender for Resource Manager identified a suspicious creation of compute resources in your subscription utilizing virtual machines or Azure scale sets. 
the identified operations are designed to allow administrators to effectively uh, manage their environments by developing, uh, de deploying new resources when needed. While this activity may be legitimate, a threat actor might utilize such operations to conduct crypto mining. So the activity is deemed suspicious at the compute resources as it scales higher than previously observed in the subscription. And this can indicate that the principle is compromised and is being used with malicious intent. So again, a, a pretty minor update, but with a huge impact. So it's now proactively looking for anomalies in the scale of your compute resources. So if you create a VM and that VM is a, an A5 or whatever, and you always use A2, A3, A5, or D1 or D2 or whatever, all of a sudden you get a like a GPU type of scale unit or you get a, a D11 or something that just goes significantly over what you normally deploy. It's gonna trigger this alert and say, hey, something's going on here. Please make sure that this is you know a valid deployment. Otherwise, this is a suspicious creation of a compute resource that we just detected. Uh, because it goes outside of the norm of what kind of scale that you use for your compute resources. So I really like that. So it's just another step in the right direction of being proactive and, and really monitoring, you know, your cloud estate. That's an interesting bit for sure. The last one on my list, and this is not a singular Azure update. This is more like interesting content. The 30 days of Azure AI content. So several people from Microsoft are pushing out content on a daily basis through all of April 2023. So each day they will have a new topic on Azure AI. There's going to be hands-on labs or exercises. There's going to be uh, blog posts. There's going to be videos and so on. So this is all online now, but gradually when, whenever we get to a specific date, those links will will light up. I haven't had a chance to go through it up until now, so I'm starting from day one of those 30 days just to see what else I can learn about the topic. I, I think this is the easiest way to get to to really get started and and do a deeper dive on on Azure AI. Yeah, that sounds interesting. So, how how much time do you need to spend every day on that? Is it 30 minutes? No, it depends how fast you read. Let's see. Week one fundamentals. I am opening it. There's two days article. I'm clicking that open. Oh, it, it points to different resources. So this article takes you maybe 10 minutes to read it. It's a four pager, but there's plenty of examples. So depending on how much you know already about this, I'd say 15 minutes a day or then you clump it together and spend an hour each week and just go through five days of content. Yeah, I'll just include some recursiveness there and I'll I'll take the first day's content, put it into ChatGPT and say, hey, what's the summary of this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the, the last one on my side, again, Defender for Cloud, like I mentioned, preview feature. Uh, and this is data aware security posture. So automatically discover sensitive data resources across multiple clouds. And data aware security posture automatically and also continuously discovers like managed and shadow data resources across your clouds, including different types of objects, stores, and databases. So you can discover sensitive data using the sensitive data discovery extension included in Defender 
Defender Cloud Security Posture Management, or CSPM, and also in Defender for Storage in those plans. Using this, you can discover hosted databases and data flows in Cloud Security Explorer and attack paths. And this helps you then kind of detect suspicious activities that may indicate an ongoing threat to sensitive data resources. So just another great example of things moving in the right direction, strengthening the cloud security for customers operating in the Azure um, and other cloud spaces. So this one preview feature called Data Aware Security Posture. Really interesting stuff. I haven't used this one. I haven't tried it out myself, but just reading the kind of brief about it makes me now, you know, after this call, just close everything down, go to the Azure portal, take a look and see what's available. What can, what can I use and, and what kind of signals can I get? And also, can I simulate like a shadow resource creation for any of these things to trigger alerts? But that's just my, you know, an engineering hat put on trying to figure out how things work. But again, another example of things moving in the right direction. Yeah, I really like the Defender for Cloud is really expanding into more specific capabilities as well. So there's really plenty to work on with just this single service for sure. Alrighty, those were all the updates we had. Um, the last bit is the unexpected question. And again, based on my uh, bookkeeping, Toby, it's going to be your turn to ask me the unexpected question. Okay. So today, uh, let's see. I will I will take uh, this for a different direction now. So what would be the worst thing for the government to make illegal? The worst thing? Mm. If you had asked me five years ago, perhaps it would have been the internet or, or working from home or, or stuff like this. But <laughs> today, I think protein powder, if they made that <laughs> illegal, I would really struggle. And I think also, no, I think that's about it. That's that's key for me. So I'm happy it's not illegal. But if, if they made that one, I would really have to have to fix my diet even more properly. And that would be challenging. <laughs> then you would really have to start eating broccoli. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, that day is not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> Alrighty, thanks for joining us. See you next week. All right, see you then.